0: Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. I've
1: had to now! Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, the one-stop shop for all the pop culture you may have this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Keefe Cleveland.
0: And I'm your host, Victoria Vertine.
1: And I have it going over there in your world, Victoria. Staying busy per usual?
0: Of course, of course. We are a good month into the semester now, so got lots of stuff going on. How about you?
1: Oh, same. My life has been busy in a variety of different ways as of late, both like personal, professional, all those things. But for here, I'm going to go ahead and focus on the professional with our very first segment of the episode.
0: So it's cool if I do that? Of course, of course. What have you been up to?
1: All right, so last week I had a really, really good day, but one of the highlights of that day was I got to do an interview for an article for Uproxx, which is a website that I've written for on a freelance basis for a bunch of years now, going back to like 2014, 2015 or so on and off. So the cool thing I got to do this past week is I got to interview a man by the name of Phil Bertelson, who is an Emmy and Peabody award-winning director of documentaries and various films, because he just had a film drop on PBS called The Picture-Taker that I found fascinating. And by the time that you all are hearing this, the article that I wrote about it when I interviewed should be out on UpRocks. but to sum up the hook of this documentary is the it's like two dope ideas that both are worthy of separate documentaries but it's like two in one and the first idea is that it focuses on a man by the name of Ernest C. Withers who passed away in 2007 who was a incredible and prolific photographer whose career spanned like 60 years I was based in Memphis now as far as timeline goes His timeline encompasses a whole period where he was able to take footage of the Emmett Till murder trial in the actual courtroom or in the area surrounding Matt, but also was able to take pictures of Martin Luther King later on when it came to his early marches in Memphis and surrounding areas, and even D.C. He went with them there a couple of times as well. And he was basically like a fly on the wall for the Civil Rights Movement, capturing up to millions of photographs of that that we would not have seen otherwise. And then lastly, he also, because he was in Memphis and like spent a lot of time on Beale Street, which is a cultural hub here in America, he has photographs of the early careers of musical icons like B.B. King, Isaac Hayes, Elvis Presley um, Ike and Tina like long list of people because he was just there and had that special talent that I find a lot of the best photographers tend to have where they in the right place at the right time like when I talked to Phil he, we even joked that he's kind of a black Forrest Gump in the sense that he was always around important people when important things happened now the second hook of this story that makes it really compelling in my opinion is that after Ernest passed away in 2007 a couple years later it was exposed that he was actually let me say allegedly even like for this point officially He was allegedly an informer for the FBI that entire time. So like, while he was baked into these different movements and organizations and everything and a fixture in the communities, and I think someone interviewed in the film even said he was a chronicler of the community, while he was that, he was also working for the FBI inside, like identifying people and taking pictures and handing those off to people like, hey, here's so and so. From the FBI's perspective, this is during the time of Pro and all of these things that where there was basically a spy in any organization of note at that point in time because they were just terrified of what was happening in the Black Liberation Movement and other movements similar to it. And Ernest was one of those people. As of calculations that we saw in the documentary, he probably earned in payment like the equivalent of like a hundred and something thousand dollars in payments because he was taking pictures and doing his job before the FBI. But an interesting point that kind of comes up with the cross section of these two very distinct identities and facts about this man are that when Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis, he was actually there like he was in the area and everything he wasn't there on the scene of the assassinated but the photographer who did take the picture that's now famous of everyone standing on the balcony and pointing in the direction of the assassin where Martin Luther King was assassinated standing right where he was that photographer was actually a documentarian or cinematographer who had the presence of mind to take that picture themselves and Ernest was the one charged with or not charged but he took over the responsibility of getting that person to a hotel for the night and getting them out to New York so that that would be published and be coming out, things appreciate that it now is. And this documentary was great, in my opinion, because it really allowed viewers and the audience to juxtapose how to handle someone's legacy when they've done incredible things, but also bad things that had a very negative impact on people's lives, right? Because like people with the information that Ernest was providing to the FBI, again, quote-unquote allegedly... People were indeed heart hurt from this or arrested or in some cases even killed, from what I've been seeing. But at the same time, like it's just a very interesting study in just human psyche and why people do what they do. And unfortunately, while he's not here to tell us what his motivations were, we do have people who were around that time who knew him or of him to speak to that. Like in this documentary, and it's my last point before I'll move on. This featured appearances from the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Kathleen Cleaver, and even Courtney B. Vance, who each are very important people when it comes to black liberation movements or civil rights or the civil rights movement specifically. According to B. Vance's case, he's just a very prolific actor who we've seen in a lot, number of things. And he's actually someone who just discovered Ernest's art because his museum now exists on Beale Street. This is me taking the time to one shamelessly self promote a little bit, but most importantly, share a really cool thing with people because this documentary is now on PBS. You can go to the website and watch it there for free, I'm pretty sure. And it's a really good way to spend an hour and a half.
0: As our audience, I'm sure, knows, this is one of the things that you and I have in common in our nerdiness, is this, like, historical kind of thing. So I love this, and thank you for sharing, and thank you for, you know, self-plugging yourself a little bit. We we gotta celebrate us. It is Black History Month. Celebrate yourself. (laughs) I love this for a lot of reasons. I think one of them is that... Photographers, I don't think often get their due, but when we think about how we form history in this day and age, the photographers really do kind of set the stage, right? Because photos don't have a language. They are a language, right? Like photos are a universal language. And how those photos are taken really impacts what we think about history. For example, just the fact that so many of our pictures from the civil rights movement are black and white or are reproduced in black and white, that has a distancing effect where we kind of get the feeling that, oh, well, that was a really, really long time ago because these are black and white photos, Where in reality, that is still in living memory, right? So photos just as a medium for conveying information and for building our view as a society of how something has happened are incredibly powerful. And so I always think it is important for us to investigate and to learn about the people who take those photos. And I agree with you, the context of being an FBI informant, especially in this time, man, that's a lot of context, right? So.
1: No, there's definitely very nuanced dealing with that situation, as a lot of people that I talked to in the film are, because one thing, even Phil says in our interview, is that. No one that he was able to talk to for the purposes of the interview was willing to just outright throw Ernest under the bus. Because for them, this is someone like Ernest was and his family was such a fixture in the civil rights movement in Memphis that like when the movement would come to Memphis for like a protest or whatever, they would make sure that Saturday brunch was included at the Withers' house in their itinerary, right? Like this is kind of like how it was. So the getting people to show up in the documentary was totally easy. But one of the you touched on one of the common through points. In the whole film, which is the fact that, like, this is before Photoshop. So, like, this man's photos don't lie. So, he's capturing these moments of, like, things before, like, riots break out, for example, or, like, the moments, or, like, in the hotel, in my Dr. King's hotel room, the moments after he was assassinated and stuff like that, you know, right? Like, that you never see otherwise. Only a handful of those pictures exist in the world, but, like, he has that. So, it was definitely a lot of different things tied up into this. And I promise you, I did not tell you everything interesting about the documentary. <laughs> so, please go check it out for yourselves again it's called The Picture Taker on PBS and it is focused on Ernest Withers.
0: Definitely. And yeah, I was just going to say that I think that I think that this is a common trope in American government. Like the the system of governance in America is that we can turn the American dream, or we can use the American dream to justify division of community. And so I think it's important to see how those things live together. I think it's important to see how we have, in every single conflict, we have Black Americans fighting for an America that doesn't exist for them. Right. And I would assume that that is part of the nuance there. Right. Of like, I am serving my country by helping the FBI and yet my country is not serving me. And and so, yeah, it 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 gets a little twisted up in your head, but, you know, it's it's important and it's something that is continuous and will continue to happen in the future. So I think it is I think this is a really cool project. And thanks for telling us a little bit about it. Definitely going to go watch it. And with that, let us take a break, and then we will be back with some more DC shenanigans. And we're back. As I mentioned before the break, DC is still out here doing the most. I never, I just, I don't... I don't understand DC and their plans, just generally. (laughs) I also feel that way about the content of DC, like their superheroes' plans and their villains' plans as they're actually doing things. You know, strategy just maybe isn't a DC strong point. Uh, But they're trying. They are still trying and so this week we got a ton of news about the DCU revamped because we're doing it again I don't I don't even know how many times this is now it's a lot it's a lot of times that we have revamped the DCU but this time James Gunn and Peter Safran are at the head so it's gonna be different that's for sure Uh, they have announced their chapter one, which they are entitling Gods and Monsters. And this is part of an eight to 10 year plan. Now, as per usual, there's a lot going on here. Um, not the least of which is that they're using Ezra Miller's Flash as like, the jumping off point of this, which is a choice. That is certainly a choice. Uh, But then we've got a bunch of other movies in the lineup. So we've got Superman Legacy. More Superman movies. The Authority is also coming. We have The Brave and the Bold, which I want to take a slight tangent here because The Brave and the Bold is a Batman and Robin story. The Robin here is going to be Batman's son, Damian Wayne. So it is both a Batman and Robin story, but also a father-son story. It is not... It is not going to interrupt the Batman trilogy that we're already in the middle of. (laughs) Uh, DC, why do you do this to my brain? So, obviously, we just had the first entrance into Matt Reeves' Batverse with Robert Pattinson. That is supposed to be a trilogy. They are still moving forward with that trilogy. In the middle of that trilogy coming out, they are also going to be (laughs) releasing this, the Brave and the Bold movie, which will be another Batman movie, but different. It's fine. We're going to have more Supergirl as well, so Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow is another movie on the docket, as well as Swamp Thing. I do think that, you know, Swamp Thing doesn't get enough credit, so maybe that will be fine. Alongside the movies, we also have a ton of TV announcements. Uh, We have Creature Commandos, Booster Gold. You don't know who Booster Gold is as a character, just... I mean... (laughs) Booster Gold Needs Therapy is really, I think, what I have to say about that. Uh, We have Lanterns, which I really want to be excited about, but I have learned not to be too optimistic about DC things. And Paradise Lost, also something I want to be excited about, which is about the Mascara, the home of the Amazons and, of course, Wonder Woman and arguably better, Nubia, And then last but not least, Waller. I am actually excited about this. I want it to be good. Uh, So Waller is a Peacemaker slash Suicide Squad spinoff about Amanda Waller, who will in fact still be played by Viola Davis. Anything that woman touches is gold. I'm here for it. So Theoretically, everything that we already knew about before this is already going forward, may or may not be actually part of the DCU. One of the things that James Gunn said was that they're going to be a little bit more clear going forward about what is in the DCU and what is, as he called it, an Elseworld, a DC Elseworld. Uh, So they're really kind of focusing on the DCU being one universe in the overall DC multiverse. And then they will be very clear about what things are a part of that specific universe and what things are outside of it. It feels like a lot, but it might be cool. And there are definitely, I think, just statistically there are going to be a few gems in here and there are some things that uh is this one of our patented non-patented things i think cautiously optimistic i am cautiously optimistic for a few of these things so yeah that was a lot of information i'm sure i missed a few things but how are you feeling about this keith
1: I just want to go on the record and say that I'm very glad you went first here because <laughs> I feel like we can help set expectations for our listeners when it comes to like they understand our overall like, collective views of DC. And I think up to this point, we on average been like realistic and according to some people, we've been pessimistic about DC, but I think that's <laughs> primarily given the track record yeah. in the past. Like This this reset is happening for a number of reasons. Whether we right. agree on those reasons or not, it is indeed happening. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said... I am also incredibly biased and a big DC fan at heart first come serve and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't even know Marvel was really a thing. All I knew was that, like, Spider-Man and the X-Men sometimes interacted. But DC, I knew that was a thing. That was whole, like, existence for me for a long while. So, yes, I'm trying to, like, forget it. I'm gonna throw my bias to the wind. I'm excited about this. I do have two caveats, but overall, I'm looking forward to this whole thing happening. Now, one thing I want to say is that this is a launching off point. So, like, if done if they knock the first couple of these out of the way it's like all right this is the new dc forget about the past 20 years of stuff outside of like most batman and everything that wasn't that was a flop this is what we're doing now so like this could be a whole rebrand for them in a number of ways right as far as like all the movies and shows and stuff like that now my first critique and caveat i wish they didn't commit to an 80 year 8 to 10 year plan for this gate. cuz i'm like mm. you haven't personally I feel like you haven't earned that trust yet. See, Marvel can do that because Marvel has had enough, like, hits or even just successes strung along back to back to back where, like, yeah, you know what? If they, like, bat 500 on this 10-year plan, like, it's still a success. DC doesn't have that room to, like, negotiate these things. I feel like it's ambitious but I also appreciate the energy behind that ambition to make us go for these big things, right? Now, one thing I'm also excited about here is that I love that Brave and the Bold is blatantly going to include Damien as Robin because that makes me seem that, all right, so you all are done and also with Superman news about them not doing an origin story, like the thing, like they're done trying to like kick this universe off with a variety of origin stories here. Because especially with DC characters, like we know most of them because they're like they're like god power characters who are on the first surface explored from very simple concepts, right? And I feel like we don't necessarily need that origin all the time because we can watch the movie like, yeah, we know Superman is a guy that does a thing, and here's what he's doing now, right? So when it comes to Batman versus on uh, the Brave and the Bold. I like to think that we're going to start seeing more of the newer DC stories implemented in the various mediums, especially because, at least in theory out of now, their plan is to cast the same actors to, be, to portray these characters in live-action films, TV shows, and video games. Because all this stuff is supposed to be coexisting. Now, whether or not that happens, because too many cooks in the kitchen is indeed a thing, we'll see. But again, I love the idea, right? I want to say, too, that... I don't know how I feel about putting the reset of this entire universe on the backs of an actor who might go on a crime spree at a moment's notice. Like, I don't know if that's a good decision. Now, I do know that, like, if it's a reset, that could mean, like, everything is changed. But again, James Gunn, Ian Saffron, both already said that they might keep some of the old. actors, will be keeping some of the older actors from the earlier phases. So that's going to be a whole complicated, sticky mess to deal with in and of itself. But ultimately, I am happy about this and excited for it. Also, last thing. That Green Lantern show, like, focus all your efforts on making that a hit because even if you have, like, two or three flops going into that show, that's the kind of show that can be your saving grace for, like, two or three seasons and you just, like, use that to relaunch something else to try again down the road. That can become a cult darling because, like like, along with the Brooklyn 99 9 the Green Lantern Corps is, like, one of the few exceptions I have to really enjoying cops and media. So, like, that's basically all they are, space cops, right? But, like, mm-hmm. there's so much potential there because we know the formula for cop series does so well because, like, you can take a very simple concept and dress it up in a really cool, unique way, like aliens in space, and add other themes to it. And you got a hit on your hands, right? So, like, just kind of go with that route, and I feel like that can be a hit and a shining light in this whole collection of content. But who knows when we get to it? Because as of right now, it's like we still got to get through all the old stuff, which is going to include Shazam, and uh-huh. we won't talk about Zachary Levi <laughs> here right now, um, their thoughts, um, which then goes into The Flash. Mm -hmm. Which then goes into Blue Beetle, which in my mind is when we start to pivot to all like, all right, now we're in the new area because that's after the Flash reset. And James Gunn even said himself that like Blue Beetle could be in the DCU going forward. Mm -hmm. So like that could be the soft reset moment, kind of like the Hulk was in the MCU. And then we go into Aquaman because apparently Jason Momoa gets to keep his job. And then we get into the new Superman, which they haven't even cast yet. But this is a lot of stuff coming at some point in time. So keep your eyes out, folks.
0: Yeah, my last two thoughts my advice, well not that anyone would listen to me, but given what has been happening in the earlier stages, I don't even know what to call it. Maybe just plan on like six seasons because I feel like that's part of like the live action TV shows. A lot of them have started out really good and really strong. And then they just go on for too long and get too complicated. So just breathe, right? Like you can just it's all right to not have something go for ten seasons and crossover with every other show that you have. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, and the other thing that I just one of the things that you said, Keith, was if they have a few good things, then it'll be fine. They can just tell everybody forget. To forget the past 20 years. And like, as a history major, I understand that historically speaking, two decades is nothing. And so like, at some point, yeah, they can be like, oh, those two decades were like weird. It was the, it was the start of the 2000s, right? New century. But when you're right on the cusp of that, like the idea of saying to someone, like to saying to an actual person... Hey, I've got this cool thing. I just want you to forget about the last 20 years of our relationship. Just feels like a big ask. You know, clean slate. You might be to pick one, <laughs> but it's a clean slate, you know? Yeah, I just I just thought that was really entertaining. And yes, I get that again in another 20 years. That is not a big ask, but just I had this flash of just going up to someone and being like, But seriously, I need you to forget the last 20 years. We're just going to start from right now. Um, And that does feel like DC and how they plan things. So with that being said, I agree. There are some really good things here to look forward to, to be cautiously optimistic about. Um, And hopefully we will get some new characters and not just the ones that we know already. And yeah, so we'll see what happens. With that... Let's go into another patented, not patented, this week in nerd news things, which is our lightning round. Ton of stuff dropped this week. Got a few other things that I want to just put out there. Uh, Let's start with, there's going to be a Gladiator sequel, I guess because why not? Um, I think sequel might be a little bit loose here. I think it's just like, this happened sometime after the original Gladiator. I'm not sure how much they'll really tie it in, but maybe they will a lot. And maybe that's something that you're interested in. So that's a thing. It's happening. It would not be a BMP production if we didn't mention that... (sighs) I'm gonna go with Fast X... It is also Fast 10. I know they're doing the thing where they use the X as the 10, but I think they want us to say it Fast X because that also sounds like fastest, and that feels like a thing, right? So I think it's supposed to be Fast X, but (laughs) the newest entry into the Fast and Furious universe, which, while I am not a Fast and Furious fan... I think objectively is a more cohesive universe than the DCU right now. Wow. I'm not <laughs> wrong. Wow. Uh, so the newest entry into that universe is Fast X. And we have the new poster. The trailer should be coming out uh, this week for us Uh, it will probably already be out by the time that you are listening to this, so go ahead and give that a watch if this is a thing that you like. And supposedly we will get this latest installment sometime in May. So if you are a Fast and the Furious person, more fast stuff for you, I guess. And then if you are like me and you're like, psh, cars, give me some more vampires and gothic stuff we have that too. So Anne Rice is an amazing author. Love her stuff. Have since I was probably too young to be reading it, if I'm honest. But not only is Interview with a Vampire on Amazon Prime doing really, really well. It's gorgeous. If you haven't watched it, I know about navigating Amazon Prime, but try it because it is an amazing show. They also dropped Mayfair Witches, and I, d- I don't understand why these really cool shows are on these really obscure streaming sites, because Mayfair Witches is on AMC+, which is in fact a thing that exists, uh, but it is outdoing Interview with a vampire right now. That's how amazing it is. So, you've got vampires and witches. Uh, if you like gothic fiction, Anne Rice definitely falls into that genre. So, give those a try. And with that, if you want more from the Black Nerd Problems News Network, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. That was This Week in Nerd News. Tune in next week for more pop culture updates. I'm your host, Victoria Vertine.
1: And I'm your host, Kedrii Cleveland.
0: And remember to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to us. Have a good one, folks.